You're listening to ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, your host. And with me today is Dr. Frederick Skip Burkle. Dr. Burkle is a senior fellow at the Harvard Humanitarian Initiative, Harvard School of Public Health. And we are going to be discussing health issues in Iraq with Dr. Burkle, who today is in Honolulu, Hawaii. Thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. I know that you were in charge of the Ministry of Health at the beginning of the war in 2003. Could you tell us some of your impressions at that particular time about our planning for the health care for the civilian population? Yeah, I mean, a lot of things went through my mind. You know, I was retained. I'm really one of the only people from the State Department. But my views were entirely different. I really was concerned that there was going to be a tremendous humanitarian crisis, but the Department of Defense said that this was very unlikely, and they really ceased the plans that we did have from the State Department side to try to mitigate this. When it did occur, I had already been removed, and there was another senior advisor put in. Before that happened, when I left Iraq and came back to the State Department, I gave a talk on this, and the discouraging thing was that many in the audience thought it was just sour grapes from my side. But, you know, there were myself and many other people who had had experiences like this over the last three decades prior to this war, and we were very concerned. We had seen an awful lot of post-conflict situations in which the health care for the population got worse and worse, even after the fighting had stopped. The unfortunate thing here is that the fighting didn't stop. Insecurity became rather ubiquitous, and the public health collapse was prolonged and became worse on a daily basis. And much of the planning by the Department of Defense, and I will say even the Green Zone Embassy occurred, they were more concerned with things that were, had political ramifications to it, and they weren't aware that the public health system was collapsing around them, and really denied it, because as we know, their reports were that the public health infrastructure was repaired, and it wasn't until the Inspector General of the United States went in there in 2004, 2006, and said, no, you know, the public health infrastructure has not been repaired, and very few people had basic water, sanitation, health, and food. And this, of course, contributed to what we know now, which was that the majority of the deaths and the morbidity, all uncounted for, to tell you the truth, were occurring from the collapse of the public health system, not necessarily from the violence. You know, you mentioned the Department of Defense. And in the past, it's been my understanding that humanitarian rebuilding of health care facilities has been under the guidance and direction of the United States Agency for International Development. Is it correct to assume that there was a change in policy to allow the Department of Defense to take on this role? Yes, and that was the decision under the Presidential Decision Directive in January of 2003 that placed all of the reconstruction, rehabilitation, and humanitarian assistance under the Department of Defense. They will argue that, well, they're actually working with the USAID, but what's come out of this is really a new model, which I don't think anybody really has their arms around, and that is that the U.S. Agency for International Development is now really a partnership with the Department of Defense. But uh, the track record, if we look at it in Iraq, really, I hope, 
has been showing the Department of Defense that um, maybe this is way over their head because um, a lot of the things that the humanitarian community, including the UN and the non-governmental organizations, have experienced for many decades, uh, they are now facing. They said that they were able to overcome this, but they're in very much the same pickle and uh, have not made that great progress. I think one of the examples that your audience needs to be reminded of, and that is that if you remember the 1996 UN Oil for Food program that was so criticized that the UN was in charge of, and really given an example by the U.S. government of a system that was terribly corrupt and was not meeting its goals. Well, I would suggest that most of your audience feel that that probably just disappeared once the war occurred, but a food distribution system for essential food rations remains, and it's carried on by the embassy in the green zone. But under the initial oil for food essential rations were rice, sugar, flour, cooking oil, salt, soap, and beans, the beans being the essential proteins. And the only thing that really has happened is that the government, uh, with a lot of pressure on the embassy, has removed the salt, the soap, and the beans. But the embassy personnel right now are in conflict with their own government because they don't want this essential rationing to be removed because they're concerned that the chronic malnutrition rate has actually increased. And they're afraid that if indeed what is left that is being distributed was removed, that there would be a catastrophe with even a higher chronic and acute malnutrition rate. The other thing is the off-season waterborne diseases that occurs because you just don't have basic food for health and also don't have soap to wash your hands before you eat has actually increased. And we'll have to say that we can't put a direct cause and effect because of the lack of soap now that's being distributed, but it's rather curious. And again, if we don't have studies that we can go ahead and show cause and effect, anybody can say that it just doesn't exist. But I think there's uh, people like myself and others in the humanitarian community that are very, very concerned. I think the other thing, too, is remember, any kind of program that's going to overcome these problems would have to be in concert between the coalition forces and the Ministry of Health. But the Ministry of Health right now is totally controlled by Muqtada al-Sadr. It's one of the most corrupt of the 12 ministries, and there's concerns that supplies and medicines really have been siphoned off and sold to divert to the Mahdi army finances. But remember, the current political structure within Iraq, even their own report and an advisor's report with our own government have shown that corruption has really been protected. It's untouchable by the senior members of the Iraqi government. So unless we have a viable, caring Ministry of Health that is really attentive to the health concerns of the entire population, other efforts are just really not going to go anyplace. And as I've stated before, the malnutrition rate has increased and absolute poverty has increased. Uh, lack of access to clean water has increased. And 15% and probably even more now of the Iraqis cannot afford even basic food for health. So things have just worsened slowly but surely. It's not being measured. So a lot of people can say it's very anecdotal, but in reality, many more people are suffering from preventable diseases than ever occurred before the war. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, and I've been speaking with Dr. Frederick Burkle, and we've been discussing health care 
in Iraq, the past, the present, and the future. Having said that, are there lessons that we've learned, and are there lessons that haven't gotten through to us yet? Well, unfortunately, I think one of the lessons for the U.S. government is that they do need the United Nations and the non-governmental organizations, and these are massive public health catastrophes. We've known that. I mean, the very unfunded U.N., the U.N. agencies and the non-governmental organizations have at least kept people's head above water, so to speak. But if we, if the humanitarian community had just had a fraction of the money that's being put in to this war, they probably would have prevented a lot of the public health catastrophes that has occurred. So, you know, I think the lesson is, is that Department of Defense, we do need Department of Defense and medical people and security and all the rest for the civilian community, but they need to work in a way, in a collaborative and cooperative way with the humanitarian community that was just not allowed in this situation. And I will tell you that it was the Department of Defense stated openly in the beginning that they did not need the UN and the non-governmental organizations. But when things began to deteriorate, then the mantra became, where are the UN and the non-governmental organizations? But they couldn't come back because the ubiquitous insecurity was so great. So, you know, during those times, one of the obligations of any Department of Defense, any military, is to provide the security so that humanitarian assistance can occur and occur to protect the civilian population. But these are not conventional wars. These are asymmetrical wars. The current wars have actually three components. One is the asymmetrical nature of the war where everybody is the target, civilians and doctors and militaries and all the rest. The other component is the fact that the security is just not between armies and the coalition military, but the insecurity is ubiquitous for everybody, even the humanitarian community, unprecedented than it was before when we were used to conventional kinds of warfare and the humanitarian assistance was provided. And the third element that has to be realized is that if war continues, and this has gone on for five plus years, is that the predictable occurrence will be that the public health system just deteriorates to a point that the majority of mortality and morbidity will occur from preventable deaths from a totally destroyed public health system. And then that's pretty basic to anybody who has any health and public health education. And the military needs to know that because if we're going to provide some solutions to these new current wars, we have to be aware of all of those three essential components and address them and put resources against all three, the security, the public health catastrophe, and the asymmetric. I'd like to thank Dr. Frederick Burkle, who has been our guest today. We've been discussing health care issues in Iraq. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. For questions and comments, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com and visit us at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.